The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. So, Father, we, like always, need to see you. We want to see you in your word. We want to see Jesus high and lifted up. We want to love the gospel more. We want to bow the knee quicker to him. So come now through your word. Work in your people. Help me speak clearly. Help us all hear clearly. And Lord, help us submit to whatever you'd call us to submit to today from your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week we've had uh, reminders again just how broken the world is in every way. Uh, And it reminds us that everyone wants peace, right? I mean, the, the outrage and the sadness and the lament points to the reality that, that everyone wants peace. I mean, I doubt there's anyone in here that just loves to feel unsteady, afraid, anxious, frustrated. None of us like to live in those places. In fact, I'm pretty convinced the more I see that the culture of outrage that we're seeing now, just outrage on every page and every place, no matter what side we're seeing it from, is actually driven by deep fear and anxiety. That's where I think it's all coming from. Our world operates at so many different levels out of a deep kind of fear of man. In other words, we worry about what people will think of us or what people might do to us. Like, what if the culture does this? Or what if the government does that? Or perhaps we hide our sin because we're ashamed. Maybe you're asking different questions. What if people really knew who I am? What if my carefully curated social media Sunday morning appearance was finally seen to be a sham. And so we spend energy, unsteady, fearful, anxious, frustrated energy to protect ourselves from things outside or maybe to protect ourselves from people seeing inside and probably for most of us a little bit of both. And at the end of 2020 and into 2021, Anyone ready to admit yet that it just leaves us exhausted? Just just ready to say, it's just exhausting, right? To just be constantly living in the fear of man that way. In other words, operating in the fear of man simply will never bring us the rest and peace that we long for. And the other thing that drives much in our day is comfort. I mean, there has not been a people or a place that just needs comfort as much as the culture that we live in. We have endless choices and one-click buying options for anything we can think of, uh, think of on Amazon. In other words, the comforts of the world are at our fingertips. And not just the, the comforts, but the luxuries of the world are just at our fingertips. The world longs for true peace. 
And so it seeks to squeeze as much out of the earthly comforts of this life as it can. In our whole society, every commercial, every ad, every social media is discipling you to think you need that. Whether you know it or not, it's the air that we breathe. And you can't blame the world. right? I mean, if you don't know... That there's fullness of joy that is coming in the full presence of God in the new heavens and new earth. Why not try to create your little slice of heaven on earth now? I mean, why wouldn't you do that? Paul says it this way, and he's talking about the world. He says, well, if Christ isn't risen, then let's eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That is the, the mantra of the world. Always a need for another toy Another show, another gadget, another indulgence, right? iPhone comes up with a new version like every four days, making you think you need it, right? And you think you do, right? You wait in lines, you pre-order, like you sign up for that stuff. We turn on that show, and then then here's what happens. So, So we do all that, we're afraid, we're anxious, we're frustrated, we're thinking, I need this, I need this. But then at some point, we come to the realization that there's no true peace. What happened? I thought I was going to find it. And so what do we do? Well, we have plenty of ways to numb it with false comforts. Right? We turn on that show. Or we go to that website to get outraged and distracted. Right? It's easier to get outraged with stuff out there than to deal with the brokenness in here. Or even run to some other addiction to at least forget about the pain for a little while. But the world is figuring out, and we're beginning to figure out, that the numbness always wears off and the brokenness of the soul is still there. Resting in the comforts of this life will never bring us the peace we long for. Just elusive, dry wells that we keep going back to looking for living water. So I'll just confess it first, right? I like people to like me. Anyone else like people to like them? Anyone here like it when people are frustrated with them? And let's be honest, the last year has been rough. Right? Everyone's frustrated all the time. Not so happy with pastors sometimes, right? I'll just confess it. And that's wearying. So I'm confessing it so you can just go, yeah, I felt that too. I felt that too. I've been weary with the frustration and the outrage and the that everyone just feels right now. I'll confess that I like to be comfortable. Like I am a rhythm, a routine, a patterned kind of guy. That's where I thrive. Like I just need those things. And I'll admit, the last year has been rough because nothing is like that. Right? We're going to school this week, not going to school that week. Right? Working in person this week, not working in person that week. Doing a Zoom meeting now. No, we can meet in person. No, we can't. Right? That's how life has been. And I've had to fight for true peace in Jesus this last year, and maybe you have too. So what I want for us, what I want for me, what I want for the south suburbs, is true peace that fears Jesus most and finds ultimate comfort in Jesus alone. And the account of the preaching of Saul and the plots against Saul confront the false peace of the world and instead show us a picture of where true peace is found and what it leads to after we have a heart-changing encounter 
with the living Christ. So let's dive into this text. Point number one, proclamation and plotting in Damascus. So look at verses 19 to 22. It says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. That's not a small thing to say in a synagogue. That's where he's going, place after place. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So Saul is with the disciples. And if you want to hear kind of some of his thoughts about this account, and encourage you to go this week and go to Galatians to hear him talk about this story himself. But here's the basic story. Saul has met the living Christ, and now Saul will proclaim the living Christ. Like that's the rest of his life. He's on the road to persecute the church, and for the rest of his life, he's on the road with Jesus to proclaim Christ for the sake of the church. And this is what happens. Enemies of God become sons and daughters of God. Think about your greatest enemy right now. Like who's that person that comes to your mind that's most frustrating out in the world? You feel is most persecuting the church. Do you believe that the Lord can save them and turn them from foe to family? Would you even want them in the family if you heard that they'd come into the family? This is what happens, though. Enemies of God bow the knee to King Jesus, and then they begin to tell other people about their crucified king. This is how Christianity works. People saved by Christ must tell others of the love of Christ if the mission will march on. In other words, no one can be silent. No one can sit out. No one can just sit on the sidelines and say someone else will do it. And here's a significant point. Maybe you're in this room and you're thinking, I have this horrible past. Before I tell anyone else about Jesus, I need to pull myself together. I gotta get my act together. I gotta clean myself up. And I just wanna encourage you just the opposite way and let you in on a secret. You will never be cleaned up. In fact, the more you know Jesus, the deeper you go, the more your sin will be ever before your eyes. So don't stay captured by your past sin and shame so that it paralyzes your witness. Instead, do what Paul says and boast in your weakness. Right? What would it look like for the church to actually do that, to, to boast in our weakness? Like, I am a sinner. Like, I sin in this way, in this way, and I don't trust in this way, in this way. But God's power is made perfect in my weakness. So don't stay paralyzed and past sin and shame. Speak boldly of the blood of Jesus to save you from your sin and make you more holy as a trophy of his grace. We are all broken sinners. We all will need grace until the day that Jesus wipes every tear from our face. That's just this life that we're in. Sinners are welcome here in this church because that's all there is. That's all there is. Are you convinced? That's all there is. Just a bunch of sinners going after Jesus together. So what if we did this? What if we just 
stopped playing games, stopped maneuvering, took off the metaphorical masks, admitted our brokenness, and boasted in the grace of Jesus. I mean, we say we don't like these things, but we've been wearing masks to church for a long time. Masks are a lot bigger deal than these. So what if we took them off and stopped playing the games? Take off your mask. Take off the facade and stop playing games. And say, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I need grace. Are you a sinner? Are you broken? Do you need grace? I'm having a hard time trusting him here. Will you come and help me trust him? I'm having a hard time here and here and here. Have you ever had a hard time? I guarantee you there's no one in this room that hasn't had a hard time that wouldn't love to come alongside you. We hide because we're so afraid someone's going to find us out. We're afraid of that past sin and shame, but it's there for everybody. If we'll never take off the mask to be fully known and fully loved, you'll never believe God fully can love you when he fully knows you either. We want to be a people that boasts in our weaknesses and boasts in his power, made perfect to save us from our sins and work in our weaknesses. And that's exactly what we see Saul doing. He's proclaiming to the Jews that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah that has come into the world, the Godman that came to be the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The people are amazed. The persecutor has turned into the preacher. I mean, they heard he was coming to Damascus. right? I'm sure there were whispers among the church. You know, Saul's coming. He's on the road. He's on his way here. And then when he finally shows up, a bit delayed, he's preaching the gospel. Why did that happen? Because Saul had his sins washed white by the blood of the Lamb. So kids, Bruce said it last week, and I just want to say it again to you now. You're not a follower of Jesus because your parents love Jesus. You need to trust, like Saul, that Jesus forgives your sins and follow him yourself. And if you do that, even today, you should start telling people about him. At your school, on the playground, at your co-op, wherever you find yourself, start telling people about Jesus. There is nothing better than grace. There is nothing better than grace. (laughs) Our sins completely forgiven, cast as far as the east is from the west. What is better than that? Why would we not tell people about that? And that's what Saul is doing So what happens as he debates the Jews and proves them wrong? Well, we have seen this movie before in the book of Acts. Let's look at verses 23 to 25. No surprises. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So they plot to kill him. right? We know from chapter 1, verse 1, that this is King Jesus working and teaching. It's Jesus debating the Jews. All these scenes of him debating the Jews, confounding the Jews, is meant to take you back to the Gospels and go, I've seen this before. I've seen one who debated them and put them to shame before. And so are we surprised that the same group of Jewish leaders that plotted to kill Jesus are now plotting to kill Saul? Well, of course not. That's just what they do in Acts over and over again. 
But in God's providence, Saul gets away with the help of his friends and lives to preach another day. And so here's Saul, brand new convert, knows people are plotting to kill him, escapes by the skin of his teeth through a wall. So maybe it's time to go underground for a season. <laughs> maybe it's time to just slip away, take some time off. And that is not exactly what he does. So look at verses 26 to 28. Point number two, proclamation and plotting in Jerusalem. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Not only does Paul barely escape, but he gets to Jerusalem and he tries to join the believers there and they're just too afraid to welcome him in. They're like, you're not, no, uh-uh, not Saul. Right? This is how awful Saul was. This was enemy number one of the church. So if you've heard he's coming to persecute you, and then he shows up at your door, right? they're just going like, how could he be a disciple? Right? We, we know people that he's dragged off to prison. We know people that he's persecuted. We heard about Stephen. We know what he's up to. So they doubt and they're afraid. And I think it's very reasonable. I think it's reasonable that they have these fears. This is what we talked about in the introduction. We're often driven by what people can do to us or how our comfort can be destroyed. It's hard to blame these Christians in Jerusalem, but there is one who is bold enough to bridge the gap. I've been listening to another sermon series through Acts, and that particular preacher says that Barnabas is like the golden retriever of the apostles. Right, always there to encourage you, always glad you're around. <laughs> and we've seen this movie before, right? Barnabas stands out in his generosity, not only with finances, but with his generosity towards people. Barnabas takes him to the disciples and, and bridges the gap for him. He's heard of the miracle of God has done, and he wants to let others in on the work of God and receive their new brother in Christ. In other words, Barnabas, maybe more than anyone else, believes in the grace of God. Believes in the grace of God to save, to transform, to do a new work, to do miracles of grace. And this is the beauty of the church. We're going to see this all throughout Acts more and more as it builds. We're all miracles of grace. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Foes are turned into family. All of us were enemies of the king, and now all of us are seated at the table of God as sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters in the family of God. Don't miss that point in this story, right? We love to say blood-bought family around here, and what does Saul do when he gets to Jerusalem? He wants to be with his brothers and sisters, right? He wants to be encouraged and refreshed and comforted, he wants into the family. He knows he needs it, that it's vital. And so he finally is received as Barnabas bridges the gap. And what does he do once he's received there? Well, he goes in and out among them, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. What do you think the response to it was at this point? Look at verses 29 to 30. He spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, 
But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So he's now disputing, likely, with the very people that stoned Stephen. So no surprise, they plot to kill him. And in the providence of God, the people that were once enemies are now brothers. And they help him escape to Caesarea and then off to Tarsus. So just notice two things quickly about this story. Number one, proclaiming the name of Jesus will often bring scorn and pain. The Bible's not shy about that. In fact, Saul turned Paul will experience suffering for the name of Jesus throughout his whole ministry. So we just say, so what, what's his ultimate response to that suffering? What keeps him going in it? Well, Philippians 3 says, I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I count everything else as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. In other words, he's not driven by the comforts of this life anymore. He's driven by the comfort of knowing Jesus. Is knowing Jesus enough for you to risk everything else? Every other comfort, every other security, everything else in your life. Is knowing Jesus enough? And number two... Notice that until God is done with us, we are invincible. (laughs) Until God is done with us, we are invincible. Saul escapes twice by the providence of God with the help of this new Christian family. And if you read his journeys and his stories, there's a lot more escaping, a lot more surviving coming. And Saul will escape and survive until the work God has for him to do is done. Saul is not driven by the fear of man, but by the fear of God in trembling day by day obedience to his call. Saul had met the living Christ on the road to Damascus, and that encounter took out his heart of stone, his blindness, and put in the heart of flesh and gave him eyes to see. That encounter shook him free from being driven by the fear of man, driven by the comforts of this life, and said, free to walk in glad obedience to Jesus, knowing if he had Jesus, he had all he needed, not just in this life, but forever. That is the pulse, the heartbeat of the Christian church for all time. That's the heart you need. You've encountered the living Christ if you trust in him right now. Kids, it's not too early for you to hear this. If you follow Jesus in this life, there will be times where you are not popular or liked. It's just going to happen. It's probably going to happen even more for you than it did for me growing up. And I just want to say two things to you right now. First, Jesus is worth it. You'll hear that a lot here, but he's worth it. It's better to have him and not be liked than to not have him and have a few other people like you for a little while. Second, even when the world rejects us or rejects you, and you come out of your weak and you're broken and you feel a little bit hurt, this is a place where you can come and find family. 
Find a place to, to belong, a place that will love you and care for you. This is the place we come to encourage each other, remind each other of the love of Jesus for us, and then head back out to preach about Jesus to others, praying that, friend, that foes will become family. That's how this thing works for centuries. Point number three, proliferation and peace in the church. Look at verse 31. So the church... Throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. In walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So let's look at what the church did not have. They did not have comforts or luxuries. They did not have rights. They did not have popularity. They did not have cultural acceptance. They didn't have any of it. They had, they had a people dragging them out of their houses, taking all their stuff, throwing them into prison, and once in a while, stoning them. Yet somehow, what the church did have is peace. Would that characterize us? This church. When people... Read your social media and, and talk to you, and they, you're, you're, engage, you're engaging with people. Would they go? What marks this place is just a deep settledness, a deep peace. And it seems to be connected to this guy, Jesus, for them. Is, is that what marks us? Because they didn't have comforts or rights or popularity or acceptance, but they had peace. And that peace led to the building up of the church, even though everyone all around it was trying to tear this thing down. In the midst of persecution from outside and problems from inside, there was a peace that led to the growth of the church. There was a gospel preached, fellowship in the word and prayer that went deeper and deeper into their souls and its importance and sweetness and reality. And as the gospel multiplied peace to the church, it multiplied people as well. Can you imagine how strange a thing it was for the world to see people at peace amidst persecution? I mean, this is why you hear the saying, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Because when this kind of thing happens, the only explanation is Jesus. What a strange thing to see a people hopeful in the midst of hatred. What a strange thing it would have been to see people continuing to speak even in the midst of suffering. What a strange thing to see people show up to visit their brothers and sisters in Christ in prison knowing association with them could get them put in the exact same place. This peace built up the church and this peace multiplied the church as the message of peace with God through Jesus Christ was verified by the display of peace among his people. We will see a few summary statements like this about the church throughout the book of Acts. And the last one we saw was back in chapter 6 after Nick preached about the problem with the widows not being cared for. So we had this statement about the church multiplying there. So what's happened between chapter 6 and chapter 9? Because from these summary statements, it would seem like things are going pretty well. So what's happened? Well, Stephen has preached. Stephen's been stoned. 
The church has been persecuted so much that they've literally had to run out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. There's been preaching in a random desert place to the Ethiopian eunuch. And then there's been this conversion and preaching met with great opposition and persecution in the ministry of Saul. In other words, it looks absolutely chaotic. Like there's no, there's no strategy meeting where people go, you know what we're going to do? What if we get everyone so mad at us that they persecute us so we have to flee to other places to preach the gospel? What if, what if a couple of us got stoned? That'd be a good strategy, right? That'd invite people in. Right? Like th- this is not happening by any human planning or cunning. I mean, it looks chaotic. It looks messy. It's not accepted by the culture. It's not easy. It's not well planned. But as God's people breathe in the word, breathe out prayer as they fast and pray and fellowship as they radically orient everything in their lives around the king of kings his presence sovereignly leads them and goes with them to sustain his people and to seek and to save the lost and this is what he's going to do in our day if we're awake to it this he'll lead us he'll sustain us he's enough for us it doesn't look great right now It looks chaotic and messy outside the church, inside the church. It looks broken and messed up. It looks irretrievable. And that's what it looked like here. Do we believe that Jesus is alive and reigning? Or is that just on Easter? Are you with me? Do you want to be part of the story? Do you want to trust this king, this savior? Do you want to be all in? Do you want to lay down all the other garbage that you've been running after that I've been running after and just go after him together I was texting with somebody the other day and I said I just want the rest of my life to be faithful shots at the devil in the name of Jesus for a little while so what I want to do is want to go after Jesus and follow him and say wherever you want me to go I'm with you we don't need to choose between building up the church and multiplying the church We just need to walk in the freedom of glad obedience to King Jesus and let his presence satisfy us and then send us. So how do we do that? Here's the application. Where does that building and multiplying peace come from? How do we find true peace? This is one of my favorite sentences in the whole Bible. I love how these things fit together. It says... And they were walking in the the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That seems strange. Fear and comfort. (laughs) How does that work? What does a people like that look like? How do fear and comfort go together? So what, what is this fear? Right? Sometimes we want to dumb it down a little bit. Like It just means like, oh, they were amazed. And that's, that's part of it, is being amazed. But if we look in Acts 2, as the church was formed and great fear came upon every soul, it's because they saw many signs and wonders taking place. But the next time we see that word is in chapter 5. It's a miracle of judgment against Ananias and Sapphira. So this fear, this awe, this trembling is a holy trembling before an all-powerful king who can do whatever he pleases and he sees everything. 
That's the fear here. Don't want to dumb it down. Don't want to water it down. Don't want to make it something less than it is. It's a trembling before a holy God who can do whatever he pleases and sees it all. Now here's the beauty of the gospel. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Right? We don't work to appease that God anymore. His wrath has been appeased once for all on the cross of Christ. But as we have access to the throne, to the holy of holies, as we have eyes to see his power and holiness, it should cause our trembling and awe and holy fear to grow, not lessen. Like if the deeper in to God you get, the more you're like, who cares about his holiness? I'm saved. This is not how it works. If you have eyes to see him, who he really is, and a little bit more every day of his holy perfections, all that he is, all that he does, all of his holiness, you just tremble before him. Not out of a fear of condemnation, but because you see rightly reality. Here's King Jesus King of kings, here's the place true freedom and joy is found in obedience to him. I'm just going to give you some information that will set you free from the cultural air we breathe. You're not your truest self by doing whatever makes you happy in the moment. You are your truest self when you are in submission to King Jesus and under the sovereign control of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's, that's the lie. Like, I could be my truest self and just express it and just, right, sin that grace might abound. No, you're your truest self, your happiest self, your most joyful self, your most authentic self as a Christian when you're under the lordship of King Jesus in obedience to the sovereign control of his spirit. There is no joy outside of obedience to Jesus. There's no joy in rebellion against the King of Kings, and therefore the fear of man is replaced by a greater trembling before our King. Why would the church continue to preach the gospel despite seeing plots to kill their leaders and drag off others to prison? The only answer is that they feared King Jesus more. They trembled before him in holy worship. The worst thing for the early church was to lose fellowship with Jesus, to not obey Jesus, to betray their king. Not whatever the religious leaders could do. What can man do to us? Right? To live as Christ, to, to die as gain. Like, what can man do to us? They knew who the true ruler was, and they trembled before him. And here's the beauty of that, that when that fear of man was replaced by a fear of God, they could stop living for the comforts of this life and instead live in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. This set free. No longer did they mainly find their comfort in earthly places and earthly things. Jesus didn't even have a place to rest his head. And that kind of became the story of the early church. Instead, they found their comfort in the blood of Jesus Christ and all the promises of God finding their yes in him. That's what it means to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He helps us see and savor and be satisfied and safe in Jesus. They could say that the Saul had turned into the Apostle Paul to live as Christ, to die as gain, and mean it. 
They could gladly suffer the loss of all things in order that they might gain Christ. No longer are they looking to the comforts of this life or cultural acceptance or rights as citizens of Rome or even citizens of Israel. Instead, they knew their citizenship was in heaven and from it they awaited their Savior and their King. And until He came back, they were working for Him. Where did this true peace that built up and multiplied the church come from? A people that feared King Jesus instead of man. I want that for myself. I want that for us. And a people that found their deepest comfort in belonging to King Jesus more than any earthly comforts of this life. This is a strange people. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. This is the people that truly knew that Jesus was better than anything else this life could ever offer. And therefore they were willing to lose everything this life could give them in order to have Jesus. And that peace that they had from the fear of Jesus and the comfort of the Holy Spirit overflowed. So that they would risk their prestige and their possessions and their cultural status, and their comforts, and yes, even their very lives to tell other people where they could find true peace with God as a part of his blood-bought family. So my prayer this week has been that we would be a people that walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit to know that Jesus is truly better. And that as we do that, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that we would have true peace for our souls that we couldn't help but offer to our neighborhoods and nations. No matter the cost, because nothing is up for grabs when we have Jesus. So just take a couple minutes now. I'm going to come back up in just a couple minutes, and we'll do the Lord's table together. But take a couple minutes right now and just go to the Lord with, with the things that you're finding comfort in more than Him. Go to the Lord with the things you fear more than Him, and let's confess our sins and bow to our King for a couple minutes together. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.